Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation, or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled, Men's Sexual Struggles, and our guest is Jonathan Doherty. Please use discretion in listening to this episode, as it may not be suitable for young children. I'm excited about today's show. We got um, uh, Jonathan Doherty, who is the founder and director of Be Broken. And uh, correct me if I if I don't say anything the way that you want it to be presented out there, Jonathan. Oh, that's fine. But Be Broken is a um, an organization, a ministry to help. Uh, well, let me, why don't you describe? Sure. Yeah. Mean? Yeah, we're a national nonprofit ministry that helps uh, anyone who's struggling with any kind of sexual brokenness issue. So that includes uh, the the people who are are struggling, like let's say with pornography, other kind of sexual um, uh, strongholds, but also the loved ones of those who are struggling. Sure. So we try to serve anyone who's connected to sexual brokenness, which, quite honestly, in our culture. Who isn't? You yes. know, so there's a lot of people. I know that I are, am. Yeah. So, <laughs> or Joanna, my wife is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what we do. And we try to get people to the resources that they need locally mm-hmm. to be able to grow in integrity. So, okay. What, what got you into all this? Well, I, I've, I always like to tell people you don't ever, you don't ever hear of a 13 year old or 14 year old waking up and going, oh, I know what I want to do when I want to grow up. And it's this. <laughs> it's never like that. It's uh, usually you either have your own personal story of being intimately connected with the brokenness that you're trying to serve, or you have a loved one that went through this. In my case, it was my own personal brokenness. I had a history of of sexual addiction, pornography use that went all the way back to when I was 12 years old. Um, And so, yeah, uh, just to give you a little bit of my story, I I grew up in a Christian home, so uh, I have a... I often have a great platform with those in the church who are struggling to bring out their secret of dealing with pornography or any other kind of sexual struggle because they have this they have this fear and shame that keeps them locked up because they go, man, I I I, I know what God's word says about this. I, I know what my church even says about this and what would happen if I brought this out because I would just be yes. you know, run out of town on a rail. Yeah. The shame involved. Yeah, I know. Um, I I grew up in the late '60s and '70s, and and uh, I remember my. I, I grew up myself in a Christian home, and my father was a pastor, and uh, 
I I found some friends and I found some pornography, some magazines in a field one day, and and um, we kept them hidden in a plastic trash bag in the bushes on the side of the house. And uh, you know, every once in a while, when we get bored, let's go look at those. And uh, one day, my little brother felt vindictive for some reason and and told my dad. And Ooh. my my dad. Uh, he he handled it really well, but he got me this book called "A Doctor Talks to Nine Through Twelve Year Old" to yeah something like that, and it was all just drawings, illustrations that look nothing like you know. And I thought, well, that's right. cool, Dad, but that's not near as cool as what I was seeing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, um, yeah, it, it was he he tried to be helpful, but um, well, and I had a similar experience. Both my parents were nurses. And so when I was 11 years old, they gave me this book called Your Changing Body. Mm. And uh, it was very, very much from a medical clinical perspective. So I was like, well, this isn't helpful. You know, I don't know what this is talking about. I have no idea. You know, so then when I was exposed to pornography at 12, I was still completely ignorant regarding sex, even though I'd, I'd had this book since I was 11. And so pornography just set its hooks in me because it was, I mean, there was just, man, compared to. These medical books, I was like, there's something in here that's that that is connecting more in a an exciting way with me, even if I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. It really got its hooks in me early. So uh, you you went through some time uh, yourself of struggling, and um, uh, something change that you said, hey, I need to I need to do something about this or Yeah, so to give you the the reader's digest version or the short version of my full story, I, I saw pornography when I was twelve and it set its hooks in and then all throughout junior high and high school, porn was really my main outlet in terms of having a kind of a secret me space. Just hey, this is my world. This is where I get to go to have some me time. Um but so the whole thing was secretive. I never told my parents. I never got caught. I never, you know, and and it, I didn't realize at the time how it was kind of eroding away at me internally. Yes. I just knew that I was learning how to live a double life. I was learning how to have kind of a, some secrets while I presented myself outwardly in the way that I felt like people wanted me to present myself in whatever context I was, whether it was home or church or school or whatever else. When I got into college, then I went beyond what we call the flesh boundary. And I was being sexual with other people. And that's when just kind of the acceleration of the speed of my addiction really launched. Oh. And that's yeah. and and then I got married, brought it into my marriage. You know, the, yeah. the the catalyst that really actually got me to a place of realizing something's gotta change was when my wife eventually left me mm-hmm. after four years of marriage um, because of my sexual yeah, I, I had a little bit different experience myself. I I was using pornography quite frequently as a young man, and um, I thought marriage was going to cure all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most single guys do. Yes, and, and I thought, well, just, this is what's getting me by until I get married. And when I get married, then so, but uh, um, unlike, well, like me, similar experience, you didn't, uh, that didn't fix things, and your wife left you, so... So then what? Yeah, so that actually was the thing that woke me up. I was very depressed at the time, suicidal even. Um, 
And so when my wife left, I, it was a different re- reaction than what I thought I was going to have because I thought, you know, if she leaves, well, that'll just be the thing that pushes me over to where I will complete suicide. Um, but it was a t- completely different reaction that I had because it shook me to the core because I fundamentally didn't believe she would ever leave. And this is some of the delusion that a lot of men have out there. Yes, they've yeah. got a strong wife, they've got a woman of faith or whatever, and they just have this idea that she's going to remain... She'll forgive me over and over again and, yeah, and we'll then, work it out. And, and that that I can kind of have these two worlds and still yeah. be okay. And so when she did leave, rather than me going further into depression, the very day she left was kind of my wake-up call. And I realized that... I had to make a decision that day. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that in your life where you've got certain moments where you go, there's no, there's no possibility to put this off another minute. I yeah. have to make a decision here. And the decision really was between two major roads. The road I was on, which I knew I would be dead in, mm. within the next year. It was either by my hand or by somebody else's because my behaviors were taking me into prostitution and other very dangerous environments. Mm. Or the other decision I had was I had trusted Christ as my Savior when I was six years old. And the other road was I got to return to the one who saved me when I was six. And so the decision was very clear in that moment. The thing is, I didn't know how to return to Christ. But what was cool is when I had that memory of being six years old and Christ saving me, I just hit the floor. I was a puddle of tears. I didn't know what to do because I was going, I know that's what I sh- I, I need to do that, but I don't know how. And instead of me trying to figure out how to return to him, he met me on the floor. Mm. <laughs> so he was like, yes, those are great experiences. You don't have to figure this out. I've, I've been here all along. I'm here right now. And when you get up off this floor, I'll show you if you're willing, I'll show you the next steps. And that was huge for me being able to have a whole new framework. I still, when I got up from the floor, I still didn't know what I was doing. Right. But there was a renewed sense of hope and and a, and a new kind of purpose to my life. I realized maybe it's not over. Maybe I don't have to think these thoughts that I've thought before, not only with the sexual stuff, but with the depression and suicide. So was it kind of like now you started looking for those doors that, that God had been leaving open for you all along. Yeah, it got a whole new perspective on, um, yeah, what I was looking for. You know, I'd been trying to look through pornography and my own sexual lust to try mm-hmm. to find what God had been making available to me all along. Yes. Which was really, and I think we're going to get into some of that, this, this like the heart desire stuff. Yes. That you, you, when you try to go through pornography and through your sexual lust to find those things, your vision gets completely blurred. You get totally blinded to even being able to see what your true desires are. And I think so this new road that I went on was a road of recovery. Uh, I like to think of it more as a road of redemption because it's not that there was something, I wasn't being recovered to something that I was before. I was being redeemed to something that I was always meant to be. Yes. And so it was a new kind of a journey where it's like, okay, what is what do these desires look like? What are they? And how can they be fulfilled in legitimate, healthy ways? Yeah, so I was on on the way over here. As a matter of fact, I was listening to one of your podcasts. And by the way, 
uh, excellent podcasts. You need to go to puresexradio.com. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, listening to one of those with uh, a friend of yours and mine, Steve Cervantes, and uh, who's a marriage and family therapist and, and uh, works with you with your Mm-hmm. Uh, does your workshops right? Yeah, and uh, and the title of it was "What Every Man Wants," and um, I was thinking, you know, this is what every person wants, every man yeah. and woman, really. Uh, so, w- what was that? What, what does the, some of those things? What what does every person want? Yeah, well, I think um, you know. Before we jump right into that, I, when when Stephen brought that idea, I was I was I had the very same thought. I thought, man, as I'm looking down, kind of this list of stuff that you've got here, these are the desires that I think are human desires. Like they're not just what men want. We put it into the framework of kind of how a man would approach these desires. And sometimes I'm always leery of making. Uh, trying to go too deeply into making comments of what women think or want or feel, because I'm going, I'm not a woman, so I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to make be presumptuous about sure. that. Um, I, all I can tell you is I know how women have responded to things I've said, you know, on the radio and otherwise. But, uh, but I think one of the key things, like foundational things, is just that desire for acceptance. Uh, I think we might have said it in the radio program, somewhat of kind of like belonging. But yes. I know you had had some thoughts off air about how you see acceptance and belonging a little bit differently. Yeah, well, they're kind of at the same core. I just, I, I, the reason I like the word acceptance is because um, belonging is in that direction of what we're looking for. But why do we want to belong? Well, we really want to belong because we want to be accepted. Not just, hey, I've got a place here, but your place is what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in in a marriage you, you're not just, um, you don't just, you're not just my spouse. I want you to be you. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like the, you, the kind of the, the belonging phase is almost like you belong because you are accepted. Yes, yeah. So we're, it's yeah. semantics, but. And I will tell you this. So in my personal journey, not only, not only with me, but then also eventually with my marriage, because I do want the listeners to know God did reconcile my oh, marriage, yes. was. Christ meeting me on the floor when my life was completely shattered, totally over, my wife had left, was exactly that embrace of acceptance. And I felt it in that moment like I'd never felt it before. And I think there's many people who they believe they've got to get to a certain place. They've got to get to a certain stage. They've got to learn a certain truth before they can experience acceptance. And if if anybody's thinking that, then they're not really understanding what acceptance is, right? So to, yeah, expound on that. Because I think if you if you think acceptance is getting to a per- certain place before I can be included or before I can be pursued, then you probably have very much a performance based mentality towards your worth and your value, which is the exact opposite of how Christ loves us. Yeah, but if you have an understanding of grace, then you realize that acceptance is saying, "I not only expect that you have flaws, I now know them, and I still include you, and I still want you to be part of yes my circle." You know. Yeah. So how is this at the core of what drives us sexually? What's the connection with Pornography. Well, 
again, realizing that a lot of my context was I grew up in the church in terms of having a spiritual family. Faith mm-hmm. was a big part of our lives. I think sometimes in that context especially, we can become unintentionally driven by our performance and how we behave. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, we've got these standards, right? We've got the law. We've got you know what God expects. There's, he's pretty clear about what are the do's and the don'ts are and all that. And so in that environment sometimes, then what ends up happening is as a kid, you start to think, well, it's when I behave well that I get more of a positive response from mom and dad. When I behave poorly, I get a negative response from mom and dad. So without even realizing, we're setting up kids to believe that their worth is on a yo-yo based on performance. Mm-hmm. So we so hide when, the the unacceptable performance? Yeah. Not only that, then when you start to have sexual feelings, you know, when you start to hit puberty and you start to see things differently and you start to, your body's changing and you, you're experiencing life in a different way, there's not the safe environment at home to be able to process all of that because you've already got a performance-based mentality. And probably you've already heard either, you know, whether explicitly or whispers that, listen, you know, you do not ever have sex before marriage. You do not ever do these things. We have all these prohibitions on our sexuality. Yes. So for a little 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid going, but I'm having a lot of those feelings, and I'm starting to see girls differently or boys differently, and I'm, I'm, I'm not knowing what to do with this, They then that's where the performance starts, where it's like, okay, I'm going to hide all of these feelings. I'm going to show my parents exactly what they want to see or my teachers or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But secretly, pornography just causes all of that to come out. It allows a space for that to be expressed, if you will. Yes. And that's where all the confusion then yes. comes in because pornography is totally drawing out your sexuality, but in ways that are very unhealthy. Yes. But when you're having those feelings, you don't know what else to do with them because you don't have an environment to talk about them. Yes. You know, um, I've had uh, teach college psychology courses, and, and uh, we get into the chapter on sexuality. And, you know, I have a lot of young men um, that are obviously in, heavily involved in pornography and, um, and, and active sexually too probably. There, there's this kind of thought that... Um, uh, that's very different. That's a whole different world than relational. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a purely f- physiological, biological function here, the release that I just I, I can't help. It's wired in me, and and I need that release. But it's kind of separate from relationship. And and one of the things is I say to them is, well, okay, then if that's true. Why are you picturing in your mind or using pornography a person? Um, you don't need a person to have this release, but you're thinking of acceptance. You're thinking of this other person saying, I desire you so much, or you're imagining a fictitious person saying, I desire and accept you enough to let you be part of my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see all of my nakedness, to you know, um, so there is. Yeah, and, talk and not, about that. Not only that, we know now that the the brain doesn't know how to distinguish between pornography and a real person. Hmm. And what I mean by that, in terms of how how sexual release works and and how the chemicals in your brain are released, it is it is not discriminatory. 
Yes. Meaning they don't release differently to pornography than they release to a, to a person. Either way, you get an oxytocin spike at orgasm. And so the thing is, mm-hmm. is and that's the bonding chemical. Mm-hmm. So in a way, while you might think, hey, listen, you know, pornography, it's non-relational. It's not, you are forming a relational bond physiologically yes. with that object. Yes. And this is where it gets kind of, when we really dig into this with the, the men that we deal with especially, is it gets disturbing to them. And also then it gets very disturbing to the wives because in a very real sense, there is a relationship. There is an adulterous relationship with this pornography because yes. there. this is why when when it's not as simple as just saying, hey, put down, you know, turn the computer off, put down the magazines, turn the videos off, and think that you can just walk away that simply. Right. Because there has there has very literally been a bond that you might think is only chemical, but those chemical releases are also connected to your emotional soul. Yes. And so this is why we hear men, so many men, men after men after men, that they say the only way that they can get physically aroused with their wife is to think about pornography. Yes. Because that's what's created that oxytocin spike over and over again, and so it's the... It's their stronger bond. Yes. And this is why it's disturbing both to the men and the women, because they're saying, you are saying that you have a stronger relationship with pornography sexually than you do with me. Yes. And in a very real sense, that's true, and that's why... Yes. It's so powerful. Then bringing it back around to this acceptance thing, that's a hard thing to say, okay, yeah. how do we express grace and then forgiveness, and how do you work through some of this? But well, I, I, you know, you and I both talked about in our marriages. Um, we we thought I'll get married and that'll all get put behind. Mm-hmm. But part of it was that uh, we had it was we had all these you know hundreds of oxytocin spikes because of it. So it's kind of like that lover that <laughs> just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something that, um, you know, we also experienced that, hey, this whole relational thing, sexual, between us and our wives, it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy. There's something going on there. So uh, you and I were talking about this. What we're really craving there uh, is intimacy because intimacy is the avenue of, uh, of that true where we feel that true acceptance. You know, and, and so we're both, to, to get intimacy, we both have to be vulnerable, and then we're both accepting the vulnerability. And so there's kind of two, there's other ways of doing it. There's two most common ways of achieving intimacy is through sex and through conversation. And if you have really good intimate conversation, you're, you're telling each other things, you're being vulnerable, telling each other things that you don't put out there to the world. Mm-hmm. And if there's intimacy... There's not just the vulnerability where you're telling each other, you're also accepting each other. You're accepting that vulnerability from each other. And the same thing is happening with sex. Uh, you are, you're both, hey, you got your clothes off. Mm-hmm. You can see it all here, but you're both saying, hey, I still accept everything I see, flaws and all. Yeah. So um, uh, talk a little bit. What, what do you do with that? You know, you're, you're ministering to both sides of the equation here uh, with, with sexual brokenness. Uh, well, we get, that all fit in? This is where I get really excited about what we get to share with people in ministry. Because, you know, listen, this can be a very heavy ministry. You're talking about pornography. You're talking about sexuality. You're talking about brokenness. Yes. Um, and so, and uh, 
not to mention many folks in their history, that sexual brokenness includes abuse. So there's, there's trauma involved in this. It's a heavy, heavy issue. And I think culturally, you know, in the secular world, there is this idea that, listen, once you develop an addiction, you're always an addict. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this hopelessness that says, listen, the best that you can wish for to manage is, it. is that you can just manage it and maybe just not act out anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's an unfortunate message because we believe that the good news is that you can be completely transformed, not only in your mind, not only in your soul, but in your body too. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if, if God has made us completely interconnected in body, soul, and spirit, then... Um, that means our emotions, our physical body, and our soul are interconnected. And when we think that transformation spiritually only means that we're changed spiritually, what kind of hope does that give to the guy that he's been training his brain in a certain way for 20 years? Or a woman who's been training her brain in a certain way? The good news is that we now know that there's this thing called neuroplasticity, even the brain is malleable. Yes. So as you start making these changes, as you start pursuing intimacy in healthy ways where you say, you know what? I've gone the quick and fast route, which is totally focused on me through pornography. What might happen if I started closing that door, shutting down that track in my brain and saying, yeah, this may be more difficult over here to try to develop a truly intimate relationship with my spouse, but the benefits long-term are much more peaceful. There's real joy there's contentment. You're not having to live a double life. Mm-hmm. You're not having to hide. Um, you're experiencing peace. And you're experiencing a connection, too, mm-hmm. that is n- not at all like what you get in pornography. Right. Much more profound. And What and, you're really looking for. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. The hard thing to convince another person, though, that's been really bound up in sexual sin about the benefits of that is... is to stay on that track long enough to experience those benefits. Because listen, I can turn to pornography and in a matter of literally seconds, I can get this high and I can start moving in that direction. When you're talking about the kind of bond that is formed through a relationship, that takes much longer. It doesn't have the same kind of flair and the kind of um, momentary intensity that you can necessarily get with pornography. But in terms of what it builds over the long term, I tell this to young couples all the time. And they look at me, you know, out of the side of their, you know, they're like, you're kind of crazy. Are you serious? Because, you know, I'm in my 40s and I've been married over 20 years. And when I tell them, I say, listen, sex gets way better, (laughs) way better after, you know, 15, 20 years. They're like, what are you, t- are you, are you out of your mind? I mean, I'm, I'm a viral, virile 20 year old here. And I mean, yeah. I'm at the peak of my sexuality, but when you understand it in the context of what we're talking about, that acceptance, that intimacy, the relational components, yes, the real acceptance, then lo and behold, it should be no surprise to us then yes. that the physical is that much better. Even if my wife and I've talked about this, even if it may not work in the same ways as you might have expected when you were 20. And what I mean by that is physical intimacy is not merely intercourse. Right. And when you start understanding these other components, yes. the richness of that depth is is mind-blowing. Well, that's that's really what I, you know, 
for hitting on the core message I hope to, to hear from you today. That, you know, and I tell people the same thing. I've been married now 31, a little over 31 years, and I tell people sex is way better now than it mm-hmm. was. And um, it's more frequent than it was early in our marriage, um, but it's so much more meaningful because uh, the, uh, the, the other stuff that we're talking about is what we're really shooting for is that acceptance. You don't really get acceptance from that. Mm-hmm. You get a false sense of acceptance, and so, and that's another reason why you just keep coming back to it. It's because it's like I, you're 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 knocking on the same door, hoping to get something different, but you get the same um, faux acceptance. Uh, not even that. You don't really get acceptance at all. Well, I wanted to ask you um, last few minutes here. Um, there are so many approaches to dealing with things that uh, in. in uh, they're well-meaning and good people, but they just, you know, they sound good on the surface mm-hmm. and people get excited, but they don't really work. What What is it that you guys do that, the, if I mean, you probably would answer that well, sure. well, a lot of things, but what's what's one thing that, that uh, people can take away today and, and say? Well, I think the main thing is really connected to what we've been talking about here is that we stand firmly on a grace-based approach okay. to both recovery as well as restoration and relationships. And the reason that's actually kind of a radical idea in our culture, and quite honestly, even within the church, is because we are so we are so naturally prone towards a performance-based approach, yes. which means, hey, listen, if you can if you cannot look at pornography for thirty days, I'll give you a chip. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If you fail tomorrow, then you got to go back to square one. And you better perform over and over again for thirty. You know. Yes. And and that's not an indictment on AA or any of that kind of stuff. But I think sometimes our approach, because I'm all for the reward system, sure. I think we do need to reward positive movement. But the challenge is, is we often frame it up in a way that says we're still really emphasizing your performance. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we're emphasizing your performance as it meaning that your worth and your value is based on that. And when we start with a clean slate and says, listen, everybody who walks through that door in our ministry, we're putting you on the same foundation which is our worth and our identity is found totally in the grace of Jesus. Mm. And so when we're all on that same playing field, no matter how far we are along the journey, some of us may be a lot further down the path than others. Guess what? We're still all on the foundation of grace. Yes. That's right. When we understand that our worth is a constant, that that doesn't change, then we can deal with all the messiness of the ups and downs of behavior and all the relational issues and all of those other things. But we have to have as a foundation that your worth is a constant before God, that if you ever wonder what your actual value is to God, just look to the cross. Yes. That's how much you're worth. Yes. And that, to me, is it's liberating for people because then they don't feel like, hey, you know what? If I had a bad week, I can't step through the door. They say, if I, you know, in other words, they, 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 they're free from that mentality of saying the only, reason, the only way I can approach you is if I've had a good week or if I'm doing well. Right, yeah. When you understand grace, you realize at what whatever stage you're at, you can come through the door. So that's the importance of, of that you're working with both spouses, um, because that that sounds like a you know a team effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I love that. Well, uh, man, we're out of time, but I, I could dive so much deeper. Maybe we got got to do another 
episode and get deeper in this yeah. at, at another time. It's been great having you, Jonathan. I am so excited. If you, okay, where do people go if they there's some books that you have and sure. uh, and if they want to know more about your workshops or just uh, what you do? What, what... Yeah, our main website is bebroken.com. So that's the best place to go. Okay. Uh, they can also um, call us at 1-800-49-PURITY. But bebroken.com is the place where you can get all of our materials, whether it be our workshops, our 40-day e-course, the... Um, you know, the radio program, all of that, BeBroken.com is where they can get it. Okay. What if somebody is, uh, they're listening and they're going, oh man, I, I need it. I need to talk to somebody, but well, you know, going through a website, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that, that could leave me exposed. What, what, what? They can, they can call our phone number. It's either 1-800-49-PURITY okay. or they can locally, it's 210-822-8201. Okay. Locally, that's here in San Antonio. Yeah. Local to San Antonio. The, yeah. the hub of the world. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. And I'm yeah. thank, so thankful for what you guys do and uh, thankful for your friendship and look forward to maybe another episode sometime soon. Thanks, John. Thank you. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com. Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.